getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back and pasta. Just getting lumped up with Wacker Mike and Rob Rossi. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rocker Mike and Rob Presents. Today we have a very special guest. We have Greg Stackhouse Prevost. He is the original founding member, singer-songwriter for the Chesterfield Kings. Um, he also has a brand new autobiography out that we're going to talk about called On the Street, I Met a Dog. And he also has three solo albums under his belt and a brand new CD called Vintage Violence, Barbaric, Crude, and Primitive, 1975 through 79. It's all pre-Chesterfield Kings material. How you doing, Greg? Like good. What's happening? Not much, man. Not much. Glad you're here, man. This has been a long time coming. Right on. Well, hey, Rob, how's it going? I'm pretty good, man. I'm just excited to have you on the show, and um, Mike's going to ask you a few questions, and um, let's just have a good time, man. Uh, let's talk about this great book that you wrote. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, I'm going to just jump right in, Greg. Um, I've known you for a while, a few years on Facebook. And we talk a lot. And I just want to say right off the bat, you know, you're like one of these guys that's that's like a, a true rock and roll fan. You're like a, a a person that you're like a dinosaur. I mean that in the best way. OK, because it's it's like so rare that you, you find somebody that knows so much about music that you do and also managed to have this incredible career a lot of people they you know they ask me mike you know rocker mike you know how you know how do you know so much about music well you know I'm, I'm, i've loved it all my life but you know you loved it you lived it and i've learned a lot from you so i just really want to thank you for coming on hmm, thanks for having me on here yeah. i was looking forward to this you know yeah cool 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 now you grew up in rochester new york uh you were born in 1955. Hope you don't mind me saying that. No, that's okay. It's in the book. <laughs> in the book anyway, right? Um, oh, now, oh, fucking old I am. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's just a number. Um, 55 is a great year because technically, you know, that's what people say is the official year of the birth of rock and roll. That's always debatable, but we'll just go with that for now. Um, you know, we've had many conversations over the year about music, and, and one thing that always stuck out with me that you had said is, is that you kind of like everything from, you know, 1955 or so to 73 and everything after that, you know, you kind of like here and there. So right. why, why, do you, why is that? What, what, what is it about that like 18, 19 year period that, that is so great? Um, well, you know, it, it all actually, I'll, I'll go up to 75, you know, okay. Okay. Because there's stuff that you can, but then after that, you have to look for stuff, you know, because in 75, everything turned to shit, you know? Well, to me, it did. Yeah. And then, by the, then, then all of a sudden, like the Sex Pistols and, and the Ramones and everything that happened then, that picked things up, you know? Right. And because I think at that time, everything started to turn into like the Doobie Brothers and all this, 
this, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that because if you listen to them now, they actually sound good compared to the shit that's around. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time I didn't like the Marshall Tucker and all that Southern rock crap, but you know, you hear it now, it's not bad. And don't get me wrong about Southern rock because I I love the Allman brothers and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, Music got really lame and, and like sterile, you know, and then the, then the Sex Pistols, well, actually Ramones and then the Sex Pistols and then all that stuff. And it was great until about 78. And then it started turning to shit, you know, the, the new wave and, and all that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. And then that's when punk turned into like shit, you know? Well, and it was like punk light. Yeah, it was like, um, you know, I mean, I love the first Clash album. I mean, I know a lot of people like the later stuff, but I, I just didn't fucking like the the Cosbon, all that shit, you yeah. know, that TV garbage. And, and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't get into it, you know? And so I feel that all that stuff just fell apart. And then the Sex Pistols, they still maintain their cool because they broke up before they, <laughs> that. they wouldn't well, be, they could suck, right? Right. Yeah. And, and the Ramones hung on. I mean, I, I, I like the Ramones. Well, obviously I don't want to get into that, but like they get, they got a little bit tedious, you know, but I love Dee's stuff, you know, and, yeah. and I, when he did like Warthog and all that stuff, that was really kick-ass stuff, you know. But anyways, after that, it's kind of like you got to look for stuff, you know. And and then I like Black Flag and all that stuff in the 80s. That was good music to me, you know, all that hardcore 80s stuff. That was good. But then mainstream music was just shit, you know. Oh, in the 80s, definitely. Yeah, 80s and 90s. And then once they got into all that, like the drum sound where they gate the drums and they separate them and, yeah. They got those microphones and all this shit. And then digital nowadays, it's just, it's just a fucking joke, you know? It's, it's terrible. It's really, it's really a shame that you have, like, I guess, I guess it's like two generations now that just don't even know, what, what, you know, what good music is to me. I mean, I just, you know, I I, I, I listen to what, like, uh, you know, my, my kids listen to and stuff. I'll check it out. I just, it's all sounding the same. Yeah, it's it's like, it's almost like, even like these, a lot of people that, uh, you know, allegedly are whatever they, they claim to be rock and roll or whatever. If you listen to what they're doing, it's the same, same sterile shit. Everybody has the same like kind of cookie cutter bullshit, right. you know, digital. Okay. They, they, they have some digital guy that's some, you know, engineer. I don't even call them fucking engineers cause they don't know how to fucking engineer going to the men's room, you know? Mm-hmm. And they do this stuff where it's like, Okay, well, the drums are going to sound like this, and they don't know how to do real music because they never mic the drum set up the way you know the, properly. Yeah, the way Jeff Emmerich did the Beatles, or like you know Dave Hassinger did the Stone stuff, and it's like you know, I mean, I know guys still nowadays that are doing that, and there are people that are great, but they are different, and they're not part of that whole trip, you know? Right, right. And I just find like no matter how good somebody might be, they do these songs, and it just sounds like okay, the vocals sound audio tune or that they tune it up so they have all these devices that make it in key and all that shit it just sounds fake you know it's like yeah you know and nobody nobody does like a double you know if somebody does a harmony they just double it they don't even do it twice you know what i mean right 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 i mean and even even some old school people like uh i happen to be listening to uh to blondie recently uh Mm -hmm. and uh it was an album that they came out about 10 years ago with a song called mother on it about andy warhol Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it and I just I never noticed it before. I've had the album for 10 years and probably listened to it about four times. But, uh, you know, she's she's auto tuned. 
Yeah, I hate and, that. And I'm kind of like, you know, this is a girl that had a fantastic voice, probably still does to some to some capacity. Why are you doing that? Well, you know what it is, too? It's like a lot of the times, I, I don't want to say this, but people like, uh, let's say uh, like Keith Richards, for example. You know how I like Keith and stuff. Of course. But like, he gets these guys that are his yes men, and they go, well, Keith, you know, you got to sound like this and blah, blah, blah. And so then, you know, instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to just play you know country blues by myself you know it's like no they have to make it so it's like this irritating sound that they put in and, and you can't turn the records up anymore you know the, the you know because they the level is so high when they master it yeah that it's one one big line there's no space there's no depth there's exactly. no kind of, yeah there's no kind of you know anything in there where you can turn up the music where you can hear the bass and that you know you turn up the old records and stuff you can crank the low end and everything you can't do that now no no because it's all one level kind of right and everybody wants to like, you know, I remember like um, somebody saying, well, you know, you get, if you want to get on the radio, you got to have your mastered so it sounds like this. And it just sounds like a big fucking brick, you know, a big loud bunch of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I fucking hate that. It's like, no, no, I hear you. there's no air or space in the song. You know, you listen to like, you know, anything that was from the 70s and, you know, beyond that. And uh, I don't know, it just sounds great. And why, why do people like all that? Okay, I don't say the Beatles because everybody fucking likes the Beatles. And, you know, why does everybody like them? Because they sound good. How come these fucking morons don't want to sound like them when they record their stuff, you know? I mean, you know, George Martin was George Martin. There's no one else like him. You know, why would you not look back and say, hey, you know, why do they sound so good? Let's try to do what they did. You know, some bands did kind of do stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, the White Stripes, for instance, would, would you know, Jack White would right search out like old studios to try to get an analog kind of sound right well there still are guys out there that have integrity and they want to do that and that's i'm not i'm generalizing when i'm saying everybody i'm just saying that of course you so many times you see these guys going oh yeah we're fucking beatles uh, like, yeah, what, you know okay and then you listen to it, it's this fucking auto-tune crap vocals yeah. you know put this shitty digital drums that all sound like a bunch of fucking ash cans you know I know, I know. But, you mentioned Richards, okay? And, you know, it's obvious that the Rolling Stones were, were such a huge influence on you, whether it was the music or just your style. Uh, you know, you, you always kind of looked like, to me, your, your style was, you know, Keith Richards uh, on steroids. <laughs> okay. and, and, and I actually, I actually uh, get, you know, figured Johnny Thunders was kind of in that category too. But, uh, you know, not only is the stone so big, though, for you and your sound, but a lot of the proto-punk bands like the New York Dolls, the Stooges, the MC5, you could hear that all in a lot of the Chesterfield Kings and even some of the solo stuff that you've come out with, okay? You know, Garage Rock, which is, I guess you would say, anywhere from 66 to about 70 or so, right? That was something that was so influential to you too. Other than the obvious, like the 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 Dolls and the Stones and the Stooges, you know, what are some of these garage rock bands that that really really influenced you? Yeah, that's really hard to say because I I didn't really when I was hearing these bands back then they weren't they're just top forty bands you know like right or local bands like the Herd, which I you know I, I like all the local groups because. It was more like close to home and I could actually see some of those groups live easily. 
And then, um, I don't know, there's just so many things that came out. Now, the, the elevators, the chocolate watch band, the seeds, right. standouts, all those groups that I hear on the radio. Well, actually, mainstream radio wouldn't play things like the elevators, but this channel called WSAY would play all the stuff like the Magic Mushrooms and the Sons of Adam and all these groups mm -hmm. that nobody else would play. And I would listen to that all the time to find out about these bands. Sometimes you couldn't find the records, though, back then because... You know, you'd go into a store and look for like the magic mushrooms and they'd say, what the fuck are you talking about? Now, just you so know. people just so people understand the context of what you're saying. You're talking about in the 60s at the time when this stuff was out. Right. 66, 65, 66, 67. Those those are the great. So, so, so many of these bands that you just mentioned, like Sons of Adam, they were kind of like underground bands in a sense. Um, Maybe not in the, you know, nationally, they might have been. They were on DECA, right. but. They were like big in, you know, the California area, but around anywhere else, it's like, well, you know, and even then it wasn't like they were like this mega thing where unless the right radio station picked it up, like the seeds, you know, pushing too hard, just flew mm -hmm. across the United States and got, you know, everybody didn't have the chance to get that break, you know, but yeah. And then sometimes you would have two versions of the same song, like, uh, like Gloria, Shadows of Night and, and Van Morrison's Them. Going, right, at, yeah. going at the same time you know i've had to explain that to a lot of people on podcasts over the over the last few years it's hard it's hard to get that concept now but it, it definitely existed at that time yeah you could have two, two you know like the kinks doing dandy and then herman's hermits actually got a hit with it that's you right know? they did do that yeah and yeah. ray wrote it but then their version got kind of slumped and then herman's hermits had this big hit and they're pretty you know they're pretty lame but i mean i like some of the records but they're they're lame you know <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, like Henry VIII, I like, you know, and I probably like it because like the Ramones kind of lifted, you know, second verse, same as the first, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they totally like stole that whole trip. Exactly. Now, in the early days of the Chesterfield Kings, I would say, you know, late, late 70s into the early 80s, you guys had, I guess you could call it a theme or a, or a, a mantra, a rule in the band that you were keeping everything 1966. <laughs> okay and you mentioned this in your book and and i and i and i love this okay i i love this tell us what you were thinking by by doing that what was that? Um, the actual total 66 thing uh, I, I mean i was thinking about it like in the 70s but we were more like a bunch of young hippie guys you know me and rick and 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 doug and mm -hmm. bob ames you know it was like the original four guys and then we went to a couple other guys but like you know, we're just guys with like mustaches and long hair and bell bottoms and you know all that the whole look. I mean, but I, I like I like being a hippie. I liked it. It was it was I'm not calling myself a hippie, but like it was just being free to be yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't fucking care about any of that stuff. And then when punk came along, like like everybody else, I mean not everybody else, a few of us. I mean, I cut my hair, you know, which I wouldn't have done, you know, but then I did it and then I grew my hair back out and all that shit. You know that in the book. Yeah. But then doing the band thing, it was kind of like, well, punk was like getting lame and then it started going downhill. And then I started getting the idea to do this total 1966 thing where it's like the peak of when everybody was starting to look cool or whatever in that period. Because before that, everybody had short hair and ties and all that shit like their fathers, you know, what, kind of like the Beach Boys kind of look. Yeah. I mean, I like the Beach Boys, but like all the bands are like tough kick-ass bands you hear these records and then these guys are wearing ties and they got short hair and that's like 65 and then then they got turned on to the stones and yardbirds and they started 
or even better yet, the pretty things because they had real long hair for that time, you know. And then everybody started trying to look like that. And that was my whole idea. And then it was not an easy thing to do. And it was kind of like, well, you totally have to pretend. Not, I don't want. No, I wasn't even pretending. It was just like I don't want to say pretending because that's fucking lame. That we weren't pretending. We were there. You know, and I said, you know, if you like Aerosmith, it's great. But just don't talk about it. Just do your thing. We gotta <laughs> you just gotta stay in this one line. You gotta watch, you know, tell everybody why to get smart and all this shit, you know. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just you know what the way you explained it in the book, it, it wasn't just the music of 66 that time. You you had to watch, like you say, TV shows and 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 live live it like it was 1966. Right. And it was now, like culture. <laughs> And it actually worked because they, the group of us that did that, you know, when, when the, once the band did, then everybody's girlfriends, you know, my, my wife, Carol, she's got her shorty skirt and all that stuff and all her girlfriends and Rick's wife, Sandy. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, and then it started to get into like this, I don't know what you want to call it, but in, in Rochester at Scourge, everybody started doing that whole trip when we play, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, it starts going on everywhere else, you know, you get in New York and LA and, and then it just kind of turned into this really cool thing that worked for a couple of years before it disappeared. Like everything does, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the Chesterfield Kings, in, in my opinion, went through different phases. Okay. And uh, it, the band lasted technically from 79 to 2011 um in actually, was, book, actually was 70, 78 to, mm-hmm. to technically 1978 is when we started and okay technically the last show ever last was 2009 and then in 2011 2011 or whatever you want to call it that's when i actually said fuck this this is bullshit yeah. i'm done Call it a day right and and so many ups and downs in those years okay you describe it all in your book uh and really i mean your book is so detailed. It's, it's amazing. It's like really getting into your mind, you know? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good thing. And, and, you know, there was so much chaos in the recording, the way you describe it and, and at live shows, you know, I just want to ask you, is there one Chesterfield Kings record that kind of really represents the sound of the band and, and what they were about as a live show? Did you ever nail it? Mm, it's it's hard because it's actually like i'd say almost 14 bands between right. guys coming and going members, yeah you know i think it was like i don't know 20 guys were in the band at one over the 30 whatever years it was we we were around too long technically like like you know you get in debt and shit like that and then you can't get out of it and then you gotta do this then all of a sudden something comes up and it works again but anyways to get back to the you're saying a particular version of the band that was the live band that was, um, yeah, like, like, uh, you know, is there one studio album, for instance, that you feel, you know, really you nailed, it, you nailed it as far as what the band was about, even at that time? Uh, let's go get stoned, I think, was the best. I still like it, yeah. and it, it, it nailed that band. And that it was the, I don't it's know, it's my it was favorite, like, by the way, Greg. Was it? And yeah, I love the band. That was my favorite band that that the Rocco Paul Rocco on oh, guitar yeah. and that, on drums and it was just like I don't know we were like we turned well actually there's there's three versions of the band where it was like something the first you know their first here are the Chesterfield Kings band and we had this whole trip going that whole 66 thing and that was really cool but then the Rocco thing 
we just kind of turned into like a real Stooges. Mm-hmm. We, we were our own thing. And we, we, um, we just became a real rock and roll band at that point, you know, and we could go and we play and we do, we smash up the clubs and all that stuff. And it was, it was, it was fun. It was yeah. at that point in my life. I, I didn't fucking care about getting or any, I mean, I don't either, but I mean like back then I didn't care if somebody fucking hit me with it or nothing. I do. And I would fight, you know, I didn't care. It was like, yeah, well, fuck the whole attitude of that band, you know? I mean, you really had a, like a, like a Iggy pop kind of thing going on. Yeah. It was just like, we just became this thing. And then I became more, you know, I don't want to say violent, but like, you know, when you're on stage, you're not, I'm not the same nice person, you know, (laughs) I've I've seen you several times. I know you, I know exactly how you get, Uh, you know, um, you mentioned in the book about about the live shows and 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 how it got okay smashing the ceilings and and you know smashing mic stands and you know all that and sometimes it would you know you guys wouldn't even uh, they would deduct that shit from you from your pay right yeah that was what that was the bad part and then guys yeah. in the band would be pissed at me because well it's like everybody liked the idea of being called like yeah these guys are badass outlaw fucking. Mm-hmm all this shit and then but then like oh we're fucking wrecking the place and you know we're not making money you You gotta (laughs) do one or the other you know and then and and at at that point in my life i didn't want to play out anymore so i go you know i'm gonna do my fucking smash these places to pieces get thrown out and never play there again but then they kept booking us again and so (laughs) oh man well one thing that that you did um, off and on, especially in the in the early years, is you you, you ran a fanzine called Future, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just for our uh, our younger listeners of the internet generation uh, that that don't know what a fanzine is, okay, <laughs> maybe you could tell us about this, Greg, because it's fascinating. I mean, you interviewed some people like Ray Davies and Captain Beefheart. How'd you get all that going and get it off wow. the ground and keep it going? You mean um, the magazine or I'm the not magazine. Sure. the magazine? Well, it started out as a as a a flyer, what do you want to call it, or a, a newsletter, and it was like a four pager, and I'd go over to the library by the House of Guitars where I work, and I'd just make up a four page thing full, and I'd give them to like people where anybody bought a Frank Zappa record or a Stooges or Stones or any kind of cool record, I just give it to them, you know, and then yeah. then I started corresponding well i was already corresponding with people like greg shaw and other people that were into the same music and uh you, know, you just send your stuff around to your friends and then they're doing a similar thing and then it turned into like a fanzine where it's actually like a, a primitive magazine and you know it's like it's not professional but it's like you know your own thing and i did it like hand drawn and hand written and all that stuff the first couple issues and Mm-hmm. And I was using a typewriter and I got all technical and my sister threw out her typewriter and it was like one of them electric ones with the fancy letters on it and all that shit. So that was like a big deal, you know, back then having a, a, a typewriter. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just got the pictures out and you know, I go over to the library and scan pictures off of my records or my magazines and then cut the picture out and tape it on and, you know, then run it, you know, with cut, a, cut and paste kind of stuff. Yeah. And I did that up to even out of sight, the first out of sight, First, no, the third out of sight, the one that's on uh, Sundays was the one Nancy Sinatra. I even did that then. It was before computers, you know? Yeah. 
people don't understand. They're like, wow, you didn't use PageMaker or Quark Express. And it's like, no, nope. didn't, didn't exist. <laughs> I mean, I remember getting fanzines of, uh, I used to get one. It was an Alice Cooper fanzine called Sick Things. And yeah, yeah and that one actually, it kind of crossed over into the internet after a while. It, uh, everybody it had does. A website. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know if they have it anymore. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, they do. Uh, I think they're still on, they still have a thing called sick thing. I think they have a, a Facebook page or something. Oh, okay. Okay. I know it was, it was Brian, uh, Alice's assistant that ran it or at least <laughs> ran the website. If I remember right, maybe it's not the same thing, but it, maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to look into it. I haven't thought about that in a while, but, um, you know, you managed to, to 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 snag some some good interviews. I mean, you you got you got you got to be friends with Ray Davies from the Kings, and you also interviewed Captain Beefheart. Rob's a big Captain Beefheart. Yeah, fan, Captain so. Beefheart's great, man. <laughs> oh, I love How'd you manage it? So well, it was it wasn't hard to do things like that back then because um, when somebody came to town, they just played a bar or they he played at this place called the Red Creek, which. I, I played there a bunch of times and I used to go there all the time because, you know, Savoy Brown would be there. Or, you yeah. know, a lot of people were, you know, just really great. I don't know. You know, everybody would stop there when they played in the area, you know. And anyways, he was doing the show there. And then I would just go there and say, where, you know, I know somebody that worked there and they'd say, oh, he's out in the back. You know, he's outside. And he just walk up to him and, hey, how's it going, man? You know, and it was that back then, you know, and nobody was. I never ran into anybody or anything where they would say, oh, I don't want to talk, you know, everybody I ran into just was pretty cool, you know. I mean, not yeah. like now, you know. I mean, I'm not talking like Billy Joel or something, that fucking asshole, you know. Well, I can't say it. Right? <laughs> no, you could say, say it on that. this show. You could say it on this show because I bash Billy Joel and, and, and fucking Bruce Springsteen all the fucking time. Don't worry about it. Like, like, but yeah, I don't want to say it about him, but he was a. I don't want. To, I won't get into that. But he was a jerk. You know, I met him. He yeah. was an asshole, and, and it wasn't on, it wasn't on purpose that I met him. It's just like he was in the store, and he was a real prick. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I definitely get it. I definitely get it. I mean, over the years, I never met all the people that I ran into or whatever, and you know, him and that Elvis Costello guy was two biggest fucking assholes. Oh yeah. But yep. other than that, you know, everybody else I've ever ran into. Yeah, speaking about running into people, okay, you know, one thing that cracked me up in your book, okay, I'm sure everybody else is going to think it's funny too. You know who else is a dick? Oh, who? Don Metacamp is a fucking dick. He stole my joint <laughs> in front of <laughs> You've told me that story. That's freaking funny. Was that outside Irving Plaza or something? Yeah, I was smoking a joint and this guy come up and I get, oh man, your John, the John can't move, um, uh, John Metacamp. And he looks at me, yeah. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm smoking. You want some of this joint? He took a hit, and then he kept walking. And I thought maybe he's going to offer me tickets because he was playing. And, no, he away with it. my joint. <laughs> <laughs> he just walked away with his weed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, God. That's a good one, Rob. <laughs> That's really funny. So what I was gonna say, what I was gonna say is is one thing that amazed me in the book and I found it funny is is you know whenever you were gonna meet somebody you always had a, a stack of records from that person to get signed. 
<laughs> I held the key. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that goes back to what I was saying, man. Is 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 you're like this this ultimate rock and roll fan, and you kept that mentality, you know, all your life. And so when you would meet these people that you you know you admired, you idolized in some way. You, know, you were like, can you please, can you please sign my record collection of all your, all your shit? You know, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's, most guys were cool, you know, and then, yeah. and then except for when, um, the, no, the funniest was, one was, was uh, Ginger Baker. Yes. I was going to bring that up about the pens. He was like really cool. And he's like smoking his pipe. I mean, I don't know what kind of, what he had in it, but it's like this, it kept burning my eyes, you know, this, this tobacco it was like, man, it was like my eyes were watering. Yeah. And, He's really cool, and he's he's like, yeah. Well, what do you want? You know, and then he signed all my stuff, you know, and silver marker on the black cover and all that shit. You know, like that would get somebody irritated, if, you know, because like <laughs> every time you get to another cover, I have to give him a, oh, you got to change colors. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, yeah, okay, and he was cool. Then he got to like um, the the wheels of fire, you know, and I wanted it on the front, you know, on the black marker on the front. And he goes, no. I go, why not? He goes, because I ain't fucking gonna sign it that way. And I go. Oh, I go, well, you can't do it on the front. He goes, no. He goes, well, look, you want me to sign this fucking thing or what? <laughs> I go, okay. And he signs it and he just puts his period in, you know, like bang, there. Like, so there. And then I was going to ask him to do an interview for the magazine. I go, oh, that ain't going to work. So, <laughs> so yeah, right. that was your intention anyway to ask for the interview. But after that, you said, forget it. After the period, when he put that period yeah. in at the end, like there, you know, like poked you <laughs> in the eye or something, you know, it was like, like okay, and then and he's smoking his pipe, and it was just like I don't know, it was funny. It was a good story, anyway. That's cool. <laughs> and that, that was that house of guitars, right? Yeah, he was doing a drum clinic, and um, it was great because he's doing all this stuff, and I'm going, wow, he sets his drums up really crazy, and he's doing all this fucking crazy rhythm. Th you know, I mean, when yeah. you hear like "Sunshine of Your Love," he's playing the rhythm of the song. He's not even playing a, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's playing a rhythm. He's not even playing the like what a normal drummer would play. He's doing like this great. I don't know what it was. He was phenomenal. Yeah. He was and like jazz trained and everything, right? Love the guy. and love the guy. You know? yeah. And then he played on Armin. You know Armin Schauberg, right? Yes. Yes. How's well, it Armin was recording a record at the time and Ginger, he played on a song. I don't know whatever happened to that. I don't know if the, what happened to the tape, but Armin was working on an album that never came out at the time. Yeah. And he, he did a song with him at the, after that too. But I, I'm just saying that now because it's not, known anywhere <laughs> but someday maybe Armin will find the tape you know right put it out yeah that's cool now you know when you put the the end to the chesterfield kings in in like 2011 um the the impression that i got in the book is that you were very relieved and very happy to really be on your own and by 2012 you started recording uh under the name of Greg Stackhouse Prevost. Um, Actually, my, my name is my name's pronounced Prevost. Pre, it's like pre. Prevost. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Prevost. I, I guess I should. I guess I should get that right. Right. Okay. <laughs> but um, what's the Stackhouse ref reference? Just so people know. Um. Well, I like Sonny Boy Williams and stuff, and he did like he had a guitar player. Mm -hmm. And he, his last name was Stackhouse, Houston Stackhouse. I go, what a fucking cool name. Houston's, I wish my name was Houston Stackhouse, you know? That's <laughs> a great and, name. I mean, that's a fucking cool name. So I'm like, okay, well, some people will get it and some people won't. And I mean, that was the thing. And I, I didn't want to just be, 
Greg Prevost because, oh, well, that sounds kind of boring, you know? So I had to kind of reinvent myself anyway. So that kind of did it, you know, or whatever. Right. I mean, I think it worked. <laughs> it's a great name. It is. Thanks. Yeah. Now, Mississippi Murderer, your first solo album, was released in 2013. Uh, it's really, you know, it, it, I, I think it's one of the best albums in the last, you know, 10 years. Absolutely. Um, and it's really different than what you were doing with the Kings. Um, where was your head at when you were making this record? I mean, you, you seemed very excited to, to finally be on your own and, and be recording the way you wanted to. And, you know, where, where, where were you at ment mentally wise with that? Actually, I'll take a step back. Man, the mm -hmm. band was like, really a band anymore. I was just just called that, and it was like, uh, we're not playing out. We don't do nothing. I fucking hate what we're doing. You know, we're so redundant. You know, we we would never practice, right? And then we'd go, oh, we're gonna do a show, and then we're gonna do the same fucking fifteen or twenty songs where it was. And after a while, I was like, okay, I'm not talking. Blah blah blah. Same, you know, I I could tell you the, the set list in my head, but we did it so many times. It's like really boring. And then at, at that point, it was like. You know, nobody's on the same page. And then once I got out of the band, I didn't want to do music anymore. I said, I was done with it. It's like, screw this. And then I just sort of, I was working on that Stones book, you know, at that time, at the same time I was doing that and I had to finish that. So like I had to figure out all this shit that Keith Richards was playing on the guitar. So like I started doing all this open tuning crap and, and, you know, figuring out Parachute Woman and what he did and all that stuff and where the capos were on it. And then I started playing. I go, hey, I'm starting to get back into playing again because that's what I did back in the 70s before I decided to be like Iggy Guy or James Brown or whatever you want to call it in the band, you know, because I didn't want to play guitar in a band because then he looked like the Beatles or something. And I didn't want to do that, you know. So anyways, I know I'm rambling, but. Um, no, that's fine. Anyways, I got back into that. I, I didn't really get into it until I, I saw I started playing golf again. And I seen this guy in the golf course and he's like, you know, and here you can't play golf in the winter because it's, it's shit, you know. And uh, this guy's going, hey, I play guitar during the winter. I just sit around the house and I go, oh, hey, that's a good idea. So then I started doing that. Then I just started learning as many old blues songs that I could that I liked playing. And then they started drifting into like my own original things. And, and then... Uh, then I did that single that um, Mr. Charlie record. I don't know if you ever heard that. Uh, I haven't, but you did mention it that in the book around 2012, right? Yeah, and that's that. I did that. It was 2011. I don't remember what year it was. Yeah, it's in the book. I don't know. And so I, I did that those two songs, and and I taped it, and I sent it to my friend Enric in Spain, and and Enric Foster, and he was in this band called the Meows, and they're like the Dead Boys and the Stooges, and we played with them right. in the 90s and all that. And uh, he has this great label, Peniman Records. And I wasn't thinking about getting on his label or nothing. I just sent it to him because he's my mm -hmm. friend. And I said, hey, what do you think? He goes, hey, I like this. I'll put it out as a single, blah, blah, blah. One thing led to another. And he goes, oh, I could hear you playing electric and this and that. And it would sound like the Stones and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, I know I'm rambling again. but uh, Not at all. Not at all. We <laughs> love it, Greg. I'm trying to lead up to where I was at that point. <laughs> and then, then it was like, okay, I'm going to fucking go electric, you know. And, and then... Uh, then I hooked up with my friend Zach, Zachary Coke, and he's I'm still playing with him. Is yeah. My, I'm sure you've seen that on the whatever that video thing. Yeah. He's on my first couple albums and, and he was in St. Phillips Escalator and and uh and then um he hooked me up with Alex, this guy, Alex Patrick, who's this brilliant genius young guy and 
phenomenal guitar player, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he's a great engineer. He, he was this young guy who was like 19 when I met him. I'm like, really a 19 year old, you're fucking kidding me. How is he going to know of this? And then he starts talking about the velvet underground, the dolls and studios. Yeah. He knows all this stuff. And he's, he's a, wow. he knows how to play like Segovia. He's a jazz guitar player. He's a, you know, he's a genius. Yeah. He can play like Jimmy page too, you know? So anyways, he, he, he already, he figured out the whole way to record like the way they did in the 60s, you know, the Beatles. It's not, I go, how'd you figure this shit out? And he goes, I read a lot of books and this and that. And so anyways, we started recording. I go, man, I have to fucking explain nothing. He just records it and sounds like, get your yayas. You know, it sounds like the Stones, the last couple of Stones albums on DECA. I'm like, okay, this is going to work, you know. And That's the sound you were looking for. Yeah, and I, and I missed the sound that we did with the get let's go get stone era band in the nineties. And, and we did that other blues album right after that, the drunk on muddy waters. And I, I love that whole thing where there's slide and, and electric. Yeah. You know. And we didn't do that because the guys we hit after that were not into that, you know, the, these other guys in between. And then when Paul Morbido got in a band, this guy's a fucking brilliant genius guitar player. I love this guy. And I, I just played with him, you know, and, and he he's like one of my favorite guys and a great guitar player. And um, but at that time we were a four piece, so we couldn't do the slide, all that stuff. We couldn't do it as a four piece in the last era of the band. And then we kind of got into that '60s rut because that's what the people give the people what they want, shit, you know. And and yeah. we kind of got back into that, and I liked it and stuff for a while. But like you know, then you get tired of doing the same stuff that you already. It was like a recycling thing again, you know. But Anyways, to get, keep a long story short, and I went back to that vibe because that's I really wanted to do that again, and I missed that sound. So that's what that album, The Mississippi Murder, was kind of like that. And I just played all the guitars on. I played all the slides. I played all the parts. Yeah. I think Alex played bass and, and Zach played drums. And and um, it was just it was a, the starting over again, you know. Yeah, well, I, I I agree. It was like a like a rebirth in a way of of, of what you were doing. Um, back in two thousand three, and I've I've mentioned this to you before when we talked. Uh, I actually met you at the the Virgin Megastore. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I know you said you don't remember, and that's fine. You met a million I, people I, in your I life. I do, and I don't. And it's like I th I think I I do, you know. And that was such a fucked up show, you know, or yeah. whatever it was. It was weird, you know. Well, let me tell you, when I was still working and i was working in the city okay and i was living in, in queens and i kind of ducked out of work early that day and i went home and changed and went back into the city because this this was in the Times square store and uh i got there before anybody and i was and then you guys came in with little steven and um if i remember right and uh you were kind of wandering around okay sure. like in, in the look i guess you were looking at cds or whatever you know and i recognized and i started talking to you. you had that like that that i mean you had that like red shirt on red and black <laughs> shirt on and, and one thing i asked you okay because you know you at that point that was like 2003 like i, I think you were i think it was 2003 2004 but uh you were you know you were signed to wicked cool and you know you you had put out uh the mind bending sounds and then and then psychedelic sunrise would come out not too long after that um, I had asked you straight out, you know, what, what do you have coming out? Okay. Cause I didn't know if you were going to be doing more than one record with wicked cool or what. And you, you kind of shocked me. You said, well, I'm working on a book. And I said, really, what is it? It's a, a book on the Rolling Stones. 
And I said, okay, you know, and you said, yeah, about, about the, you know, basically their instruments. Okay. So you came out with a book in, it, and 10 years later it came out. I know you worked on it for a long yeah, time. It was fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was called Rolling Stones Gear. Okay. And uh, I have this book. It's, it's, it's a fascinating book. The pictures are unbelievable. I mean, it, it, you know, to me, it's like you got Bill Wyman's book, which is probably the best in, in anything to do with the Stones memorabilia and things like that. And then your book is right under that, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, how'd you get that going? You know, how hard was that to do? It was, oh, I don't know. It was just fucked up. It was like, I I had the, I was so heavy into the stones at the time that I wanted to do a book. So like I was fucking around with the idea of doing like a history thing. Right. Then all of a sudden Bill Wyman's book came out. Like, well, fuck that. That's done. It was around the same time. Yeah. I remember that. I started doing it and like going, well, nobody's going to be able to top this one. And to come out with another stone book that's doing the same thing. I'd be like, oh yeah, real cool. Who cares? You know? And then um, at the same time, and you know, at the time he he had some, a Beatle book out on that backbeat company, uh, England there. And um, he did a Beatles thing with about their instruments and stuff. And so they wanted to do stones one Mm -hmm. and he wasn't going to do it because of how long it takes to do a book like that. And plus the stone Beatles is 10 years and that's like a fucking drop. You know, it's nothing compared to 50 years of the stones. Right. Right. In 50 years and so many did Mick Taylor and Ron Wood and all these other fucking guys that were in the stones and Beatles, you got four guys and you know, 10 years and it's, you can encompass that easier to you know it's easier to, to get a grip on that and the stone is going to be you know you're going to do a book it's going to be twice as thick and whatever right. so you know he's he's like turn he didn't want to do it and then he told me they want him to do it i go oh, let's fucking do it you know because i'm already in the investing time into writing this thing that i have started and you know plugging instruments into the quotient to give it a different flavor and a different edge so it's not the same thing that bill wyman did you know right and so that's how that started and then it just started and it was like ah it was a fucking nightmare because i'm like okay you know, i i kind of did my book the same way it's like you just organized i don't know i have all these magazines i don't want to get too boring you know stuff. but like what the keep it short i'll say i, I started doing it and I started scanning all my old teen magazines and newspapers and melody makers and all this shit, you know, and then uh, I did all the pictures and then you separate it by year and then you print this shit out and you put it in these folders. And I got about 40 of these big fucking binders with these pictures in, in order by day and month and all that crap. And so then that's done. Then you got to do the quotes and I was going through every magazine and typing it in this, this lame thing called Apple works or something, some shitty, uh, yeah. shitty program it was it's fucked up you can't even use it anymore it's so lame it was like jumpy and it kept crashing on me and i have like six thousand quotes in there <laughs> you know put it in order right so mm-hmm. i took the date in and then it puts it in a sequence so then after all that's done then you start the story up and then it's like oh my god it was like horrendous then you have to put real quotes of people that were still alive in there you know so i i'd hook up with Giorgio and and then uh God, you know, Dave Hassinger, you know, as many yeah. people could, you know, that were involved with the recording or in the band or Vashti. I, I, you know, I got a hold of her because she did one of their songs and just all that kind of stuff. As many people who were involved with the Stones 
and then you take all this shit and put it in the same sequence, you know, with um, the date, you, you know, that was in reference to, and then you start writing it out and all this stuff. And God, it took forever. And then after that, it was like, I had to deal with an editor. It was, you know, he's like, well, yeah. where did you get this from. And it's like, you have to prove everything to somebody because it, it was, they don't want to put out some stuff that's some bullshit, you know? Now I got to ask you, did the, did anybody from the stones actually see the book and, and, did you get a blessing from Keith Richards or anything about it? Well, we get the Keith blessing more or less through um, Pierre, his his guitar tech, and he. Um, mm -hmm. We went to that one show that was in Pittsburgh in two thousand. It was the Bigger Bang thing, and uh, oh, Bigger Bang tour, yeah, yeah. And that's when uh, we hooked up and and stuff. And then Keith wanted to see the first three, like a rough draft of the first three uh, chapters, and then. He looked at it and he liked it and said, yeah, right on. And I mean, he didn't tell me that. I heard that through, you know, Pierre. So yeah. it was like, and then, um, you know, I don't know if they actually got the book or not. I don't really fucking care. You know, I mean, they're big rock stars. So it's like, I did it and it was done. And whether they liked it or not or read it, and I, I'm sure they didn't. You, you'd, be, you'd be surprised, though, that this stuff makes it back to these people. Okay. I don't know. They're, too, they're, they're, they're beyond you know i i don't i don't try to like even imagine that like oh yeah keith richards liked it and i, I don't fucking care if he like you know if he did he did he doesn't so what i mean yeah he's beyond all them guys i mean they're all too big to give a shit you know and and I'm, i understand that and if i were <laughs> keith richards i wouldn't know how to deal with all these people bothering me and stuff so i i don't know i never found out if they liked it or not so and it, doesn't, and it doesn't really matter because I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's a great it's a great companion to, to to Bill Wyman's book, The Two Together. Great coffee table books. Good read. The pictures are great. I mean, it, you know, uh, I think you did a great job with it. You know, and if if they don't know about it, well, that's their loss. Right. Doesn't <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm not I don't want to sound like an asshole. Or a, no, you know, no, 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 no. I it, mean, if somebody said, oh, Keith Richards loved your book, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. Yeah. Time, I'm not like going, oh, I wonder if he liked it. Oh, he keeps yeah. like the book, you know. I don't fucking care if anybody likes something, you know. I mean, who gives a shit? I'm not yeah. a, I'm not in that groupie, whatever it geek mode. I, I mean, maybe back when I wrote the book in the beginning in 2000, whatever it was, when I started it, I'd be like, oh man, fucking Keith Richards, yeah, you know. I mean, at that time, I'm like thinking, oh, I wonder if Keith will like it. And now it's like, I don't fucking care if anybody likes it, you know, who gives a right. shit, right? Right, definitely. Now, <laughs> one thing I got to bring up is, uh, uh, the Danny Garcia movie, Rolling Stone, The Life and Death of Brian Jones. Love that. Yeah. And uh, we've we've become good friends with Danny. Uh, you know, we've we've interviewed him a couple of times. Uh, I've hung out with him and, you know, he's, he's a great guy. And uh, you contributed two songs to this movie. This is a movie that was about, just so people understand, it was about Brian Jones, who had left the stones and and basically was fired from the stones and passed away about a month later found at the bottom of his swimming pool and there's always been a conspiracy kind of theory with this as to whether it was an accident or was he murdered or, or what and this this movie uh rolling stone the life and death of brian jones really gets into that so i recommend it but uh tell us how you got involved with that um well I, well danny we all know the same we all know the same people we're all friends yeah. you know and um i don't know if he found me through enric bosser in spain and uh enric's the label that put that out you know the all my stuff yeah. and i think he 
he contacted Enric and then um then we hooked up and he said he wanted to do a couple songs. Oh, fuck yeah, I'm totally in, you know. Right. Uh, it was for me it was like a big you know honor for me to have something part of that, you know, that kind of thing, you know, because oh. obviously. But um yeah, and then Danny said, Hey, you want you know, I wanna do a couple songs in it and then uh he picked the songs for it. And um that was great. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm really thrilled to be part of that, you know. Now that was 2019, and and you actually already had a second solo album out at that point. Universal Vagrant came out a couple of years before. Uh, that's another fantastic record. But what I really want to talk to you about is your last release, which is Songs for These Times that came out last year in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an album of, of of mostly covers, right? I believe. It's um yeah, it's like a lot of it's just songs I always liked that right. I want do in that style not like i didn't want to copy anybody and like i had a lot more originals that just didn't now nah, i'd rather do a song that i can play that i like playing than a song that i wrote to say well i wrote all these songs who fucking cares nobody wants to hear some boring song if it's not done right you know and i and the songs i picked were more electric slanted than that so yeah well, well get back to what you were saying is it's, it's a lot of covers and some originals and I don't know. I just, it was one of those things that was like, well, I'd rather do like a Rocky Erickson song and do it like a totally different way. Not totally different. Keep the essence, but you know, yeah. Kind of your take on it. Yeah. I do it. To, you know, I do my own like style or whatever. And, and try not to, you know, the old band that I was in, well, old band, Chesterfield Kings, like I, I'd cop carbon copy stuff, you know, I'd say, well, I want it to sound just like a street fight man. When we did it, it sounded as close as possible. And now if I do a song, it's like, I try to make it as different as possible. And if it's an electric song, I try to totally reconstruct it in a different way acoustically. Right. You know, like that album or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a great, I mean, you both, all three of you, of your solo records are probably some of the best stuff you've put out in my opinion. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, the, I'm happy with the, how things are going with that. And it's just like, it's just so much easier to just not have to deal with a band and all that shit. And, whining and politics and crap and record companies yeah. and you know you play things your own way in your own time and and however you want to do it right yeah i don't have to play out and fucking tour i hated touring it's a bunch of shit you know it's just like i mean a lot of people like that a lot of guys in bands like ah oh, touring yeah rocking out and all this stuff and then you're sleeping in a suitcase and you're, you're eating fucking bread and apples and all this shit. And you're, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not fun for me. It's like, yeah. and I'm nervous and I, I don't, I get anxiety when I go in front of people and all that shit. And I always did. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, and, and that's common. Uh, I've talked to many people that, you know, perform for decades and still get nervous when they go on. Yeah. It's stressful. And then for me, it's like once I'm on the stage or in front of people, it's okay. But getting to that from point, you know, getting there, it's like, is it as it gets closer, I, I, I can't sleep stuff. I wake up and I can't figure out what's wrong. It's like, cause I'm getting nervous about doing this shit, you know? Yeah. 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 So anyways, I hate playing out. I mean, I'll do it. I mean, I just did that thing at the store, you know, with the guys, but that was making me nervous too, you know? And, and, and it was supposed to be a five piece, by the way, <laughs> and Ryan, who was One of them didn't show or something, right? Or his, his um wife got COVID and then his kids did, and then he got it. And it's like, right. oh, Shit, you know, he didn't get any effects or anything, but he didn't want to get us sick and stuff. So we didn't, we just ran it as a four piece. It was kind of like we really winged that, you know. Well, you're, you're, you're talking about the uh, 
the House of Guitars thing you did recently? Yeah, with, the, yeah, yeah. with that one, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But that's well, see, that stresses me out being with band, doing a band thing. It's like there's so many components and schedules and you know all that stuff. And then when you're on your own, it's just well, it's just me. I don't have to fucking deal with like nothing. I don't have a roadie or none of that crap, you know. Yeah, I mean you're doing everything yourself. So you just put out a CD called Vintage Violence, Barbaric, Crude, and Primitive, 1975 through 79. And you sent this to me, and I thank you for that very much. Thanks. Uh, it is on vinyl, too. That's on a record, too. Right, right. It is on vinyl on uh, Mean Disposition Records out of Spain, right? They're both right. on the label. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I got it in front of me right now. I'm looking at this. And, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really... It's all pretty much 75 to 79 pre Chesterfield Kings. The last couple of tracks are, you know, the Cutdowns band, which kind of morphed into the Chesterfield Kings. And, but the stuff before that, like the first, like, yeah. first, like seven tracks, okay? Uh, you do an amazing version of, of the Pretty Things LSD, <laughs> okay? Uh, and then, of course, there's like, you know, uh, your Mr. Electro stuff. <laughs> Okay. And all I can say about the, the Mr. Electro stuff is you must have been like listening to LA Blues by the Stooges on repeat. Okay. <laughs> all right. And 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 you know, you were into some off-the-wall stuff at that point. And it's great. I mean, I like a lot of that stuff too, that you know, free jazz, like you know, I mean, you, you can hear a lot of that stuff in that uh, John Cage and and things like yeah, that. Yeah, Sun Ra. I was big time Sun, in Sun Ra, big time. Sun Ra. You know, last last uh, last February for Black History Month, I did a podcast on Sun Ra, mm. and I actually sent it to the the Sun Ra orchestra that still exists. That's pretty okay? great. And they didn't they didn't get back to me nothing. I was like, oh, I was hoping to like connect with these guys in some way. But I know the the the, the guy that's still leading the band. He's like ninety. Or something do you, do you know they still play right yeah he they have to be up there some of the guys got to be yeah I, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head but but uh he was in the band back when sun ra was was leading the band and he just kind of took over for the last 30 years since sun ra's gone but he just played you know earlier this year carnegie hall wow yeah and and i saw them in the late 80s okay like about 88 89 and I still don't know what the hell I was watching. I got that show. It was yeah, just, just far out, you know. Yeah, yeah. But with this, with this collection here of, of all this early material, it, it what, what's great listening to it is just the progression of you know your Mister Electro stuff to the the, the, the uh, distorted levels, okay, uh, which is the band you had before the Kings, and then you know you you got your cut downs period for a minute, and then go right into the Kings. And by the time it's the last couple of tracks, you're doing like fortune teller. I'm like, okay. So that's, that's how you morphed into that, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's great. I mean, are you coming out with anything else like this? Um, Is there any more material in the vault somewhere? I got a couple of the things, but um, they'll probably be like 45. I mean, I got more tapes somewhere, but I can't, I don't know where they are. You know, I'm yeah. I wish I could find the, I had two albums of the Mr. Electro stuff that was recorded like, John Fritz recorded him and he um, recorded it with like a, I can't remember if it was a real two, two, I think he had two, two tracks and he had a four tracks and it was like recorded like, you know, live in a basement, but it was like, 
better quality, but I don't know where those are. And then it's that five song EP, the Chessfield Kings thing we did in 79 with Frank Mall playing guitar and, you know, Rick on bass and Doug on drums. We recorded yeah. it at that, that exterminating building. And it was, it was yeah. phenomenal. I mean, it was like the best thing that I think that that band ever recorded, you know, and it, I, I wish we could find the tapes because it was so good. I mean, I'm surprised you don't have them. You you keep everything else, it seems. Well, I, I think at the time it was on a reel to reel, and I was gonna. Then all of a sudden, I that band changed again, and I didn't bother putting it out. So then, I think I left the tapes with one of my friends, and he died, and that's it. Either went there, so I don't I don't know if, if I left it with one of my friends that died or somebody else that got it and don't know where it is, and I don't know. It's one of those things where like. Oh, real to real. What the fuck am I gonna do with that? I don't have a player. So why don't you hang on to this? You know, that kind of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. So I don't know. I never thought, you know, 30 or 40 or no, no, almost 50 years later that I'd be thinking about putting this shit out, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I wish that maybe someday I'll find it. I don't know. I probably do have it somewhere, a copy, but I, I don't know. Like I'm dig around. My my parents' house, you know, that my sister still lives there, so I might go through the basement someday and look through all that crap, but I don't have the patience to do that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Greg, 50 years you've been playing music almost. Okay. And don't remind me. Well, you just said it. That's why I'm segueing into this. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, you know, I mean, you had uh, an amazing band, the Chesterfield Kings. Uh, I know you, you know, you had your ups and downs, but I'm going to say as a, as a fan and as a person that, you know, knows music, I, I, I feel that the Kings were, one of the most important bands in the last 40 years. Uh, and I recommend everybody to listen to them. And of course, everybody check out Greg's solo stuff. But in your book, you mentioned something and I found it kind of very humble, a humble statement that you made. Okay. And for somebody that, that, you know, is a rock star in his own way. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, you know, you, 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 you like I said, you, you know, you're, you're the ultimate fan. But you, you know, you you got to that level. I mean, you're not Keith Richards, but you know, you got to that level. And and the humbling statement I'm talking about is is you said your philosophy of life is family, good friends, and music, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that that's a, a fantastic statement. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you about it. What well, it's just a great way that you ended your book and everything. And and uh, I just wanted to thank you for writing this book. And, uh, you know, just all these years of fantastic music and just keep it up. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, yeah. by the way, didn't, that wasn't I stole that philosophy from Zach. Yeah, well, I got you. Because he he said it. I, go, I mean, I wish you could know him. You should. He's a guy you should talk to. He has a band called uh, they're called the um, the Low Spirits right now. And they have a single and they're doing an album. I think it's coming out in New York. OK, a New York label. But um, anyway, Zach is a great guy. I mean, he's. I don't know. He's a great kid. I just, you know, I just saw him the other day when we did that thing at the House of Guitars. And man, he he's one of the most fantastic drummers. And I don't know, he's just a great guy. You know, I love this yeah. guy. Well, you got to connect me with him, you know? I will for sure. Yeah. He, he, you know, because their band is like, I don't know, they got a single, they're doing like a whole, the whole 66 oh. trip. They're, they're really like kick ass. And Ryan, Ryan Moore, he was also in St. Phillips. It's two of the, of, of the three guys that are in this group. And uh, they're a four piece, and uh, I'll have I'll have him hook up you and send him this, you know, send him yeah. this stuff, you know. But, cool, uh, cool. But anyways, cool. anyways, 
Now, now, Greg, uh, what's a what's a good way if people want to find you? Uh, you know, I know you're on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that, or like you know, my email. I don't. I don't want to give anybody that. Eh, fuck that. No, you find me on that shit kicker rebellion page, you know, or the 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 only real Chesterfield Kings page. I say that because there's all these fake, fucking, lame, stupid ass pages out there. Was yeah shit you know that's why i did the book too because a lot of those things are just full of shit you know well the 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 subtitle at the bottom is and the definitive history of the chesterfield king so this is this is the ck bible you know (laughs) yeah i had to like you know well another thing about the band like somebody was insinuating i do something i go you know fuck that they're gonna they're gonna have all this bullshit i started the band uh, you know and and i ended it and i was the only guy in the band that was in it from the beginning right. to the end right. so you were the long, longest lasting member yeah somebody that else trying to pretend they could write a, a story well well how would they do that because they don't know the beginnings you know and how it actually the album that that vintage violence it shows how it developed into that from yeah. what the i was impression of it right right but anyways yeah that's, that's why right. i did it and plus there's just a lot of guys that were in the band that don't get credit on the records and a guy like Chris Hadlock, I, I'll name him. He's a great guy. I don't know if you saw that clip of him. He's got the helicopter and he's going, who is this man? Like, I don't know if you saw <laughs> I don't think I did, but that's great. <laughs> when he got my book, he's holding it up. And he's getting it. He's, he, he does helicopter. He has a helicopter. <laughs> he, he's getting ready to take off in it. And anyways, he's a great guy and a great drummer. And um, he was in between. He kept the band going in between the let's go get stoned and later. Yeah because and then he didn't get any kind of credit for nothing because he left the band before stuff happened you know but anyways his pictures on that surf album that's him on the cover you know but he didn't get right. credit for being himself you know that's a that's another great record is that surf record it's, it was a weird record it wasn't a real yeah. thing but it was fun doing it and yeah. that band was the band to do it with because we weren't doing shit anyways you know except mm. sitting around our asses doing nothing you know <laughs> so we figured what the fuck let's do this the surf thing because I, I went to hawaii back then i want oh we got to do a surf record oh yeah fucking yeah it's gonna blow the world away right <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter you know it didn't matter but anyways i, I don't want to keep rambling but no not at all not at all so i just wanted to thank you for coming on all right and uh this was a long time coming i appreciate it and um it's what recording this right before the holidays so i'm gonna wish you and your family merry christmas and happy new year and uh we will be in touch very soon and maybe maybe you will come down to the new york city area and, pr- and play at some point I hope so. Someday, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a trip. Send me some tranquilizers and, uh, <laughs> give me whatever you need. Oh, Rob will hook you up. Definitely. <laughs> Rob's the doctor feel good of, of, of all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys say, hey, Rob, have a great Christmas. And I mean, Mike, thanks. And, uh, I guess, um, well, we'll be in touch, you know? Yeah, definitely. And what do we say at the end of every, uh, podcast, Rob? We don't get drunk. We get lumped up. <laughs> or fucked up. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> All right, people. Have a good one, and we'll see you next week. I'm getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm